Greetings in Christ. I'm Dr. Reed Lessing, Director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. The Center offers annual preaching workshops for Advent and Lent, seminars on a book of the Bible, and studies focused on biblical stewardship. We also showcase the best biblical scholarship in the LCMS by hosting three-day seminars each summer, featuring a guest scholar. Learn more at csp.edu slash Center for Biblical Studies. The new teachings about marriage and human sexuality are an assault on creation itself. God made man in his own image, male and female, he created them. It is an assault on that created reality. Think of sin like a cancer on God's creation. It corrupts and distorts and destroys. God didn't create it. Adam's disobedience brought sin into the world. Are we looking forward to the day when our flesh and all the sinful desires of the flesh will finally be gone? Well, we have to always be longing for that day when when the flesh will be put off and we'll be totally made new. Literally, folks, Advent is where we find ourselves in this age. We are a people waiting for the end, waiting for the appearing of our King. Families putting up their manger scenes from the outdoor nativity store, love, issues, etc. The conflict in the Middle East isn't new. It's also really requires a lot of historical knowledge to fully understand. I don't claim to have that knowledge, but maybe there's a bigger question here, a more general question. Does that land over there that is currently occupied by the nation state of Israel belong to anyone? They are fighting over the land, but are also fighting over a lot of other things. But the land is seems to be at the center, the bullseye of that conflict. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us. And we're going to talk about a history of the land of Israel with Dr. Reed Lessing. He's author of a column for the Lutheran Witness magazine titled, Whose Land Is It? We'll discuss church music with Phil Magnus, author of a new book called Church Music for the Care of Souls, and Tim Carey, lead artist for The Resurrection Window at the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in Leewood, Kansas, joins us for a fascinating story about the creation of the world's largest stained glass window. Dr. Reed Lessing is professor of theology and ministry and director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University, St. Paul, Minnesota, co-author of the book, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament, and author of a column for the Lutheran Witness, Whose Land Is It? Dr. Lessing, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. Many different rulers and nations have occupied geographic Israel throughout history. Give us just a timeline of how that that land has changed hands so many times. Yeah, I think the best place to start would be in the book of Genesis, chapter 15, verse 16, where Abram is in a dreamlike state and God is speaking to him. And we have these words, and they shall come back. This would be the offspring of Abram, here to the promised land where Abram is at the point of the dream. In the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So the Amorites, at least in this context, would be synonymous with Canaanites or people who live in the land of Canaan, Palestine, the modern state of Israel. And we can see that 
God is not going to let the Amorites live in the land forever. <laughs> God is very patient, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. But he tells Abram that at one point in the coming future days, the iniquity of the Amorites will be complete. And then they will be judged by Joshua and Caleb and the 12 tribes of Israel, as we obviously read in the book of Joshua. So we start with the Amorites in the land, at least uh, biblically speaking. Uh, the Israelites are going to come in under Joshua, as many of our listeners know that story quite well. Then Israel will have the land, by and large, until 721 BC. At that point, the northern kingdom is exiled. And then we go to 587, the southern kingdom is exiled. And Persia is going to be a ruler of the land, even when Judites come back from Babylon. After Persia, we're going to have a series of Greek rulers. And then getting into more New Testament times, we have the Romans coming in in 63 BC and uh, claiming the land from Judas Maccabees and that uh, short-lived empire. Then there would be a series of uh, people who rule over the land, which would include Muslims for a season during the Crusades, the Ottoman Empire. We could go fast forward after World War I. We get to England, the UK, gaining that from the spoils of World War I. And then we finally move all the way to May in 1948 when we have the creation of the modern state of Israel. That's a very quick thumbnail sketch that gives us a bit of a sense of what we're talking about. How have some attempted to frame the question, whose land is it, theologically? Well, I imagine that at least in light of the contemporary events going on in Israel, the Gaza Strip, etc., the sum that we're most concerned about would be those who have an aberrant or unbiblical view of whose land is it, and that would be a group of uh, people who are often called premillennial dispensationalists. And these people appear, I'm going to speak in general terms, in non-creedal churches, that is to say, those uh, churches who don't subscribe to the Apostles, Nicene, Athanasian creeds. These non-creedal churches, generally speaking, are going to understand that the current events, uh, horrific as they are, uh, going on in Israel would be foretold and uh, predicted in the Bible. And so uh, these people, premillennial dispensationalists, are going to say the land theologically, biblically, from God's standpoint, actually belongs to the 1948 state of Israel. And this causes, as you know, I know, most of our listeners know, untold confusion about biblical prophecy, about what the Bible is trying to get at, about what's going on in the world today. So why do so many Christians related in the U.S. think that the establishment of the nation-state of Israel in 1948 was a sign of the end times? Many of our listeners are probably aware of, if they haven't read the books, called the Left Behind series series of fictional novels that started coming out in the 1990s and early 21st century, written by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. 
if you step back from the fictional part of this massive media empire called Left Behind, and you would read another book by the same authors, Tim LaHaye and Sherry Jenkins, titled Are We Living in the Last Days? That's their catechism. That's uh, their template. That's the way they have organized these fictional novels around what they actually believe theologically. And in this uh, book, Are We Living in the Last Days? LaHaye and Jenkins say, and I quote from them here, that Israel becoming a state in May of 1948 is, quote, the super sign of biblical prophecy. Uh, so that's why many Christians believe that uh, this is a sign of the end times, because that's what they've been taught uh, from pulpits and lecterns, and certainly from the Left Behind series. Who owns this land according to the Bible? Well, we could go back where we started a few moments ago in Genesis 15, 16, where God is telling uh, Abram, right, that the Amorites are in the land, but they're not going to be there forever. They're actually going to be exiled, judged, and expelled, which is a wonderful way to begin to organize our understanding of the land, this land, the promised land flowing with milk and honey, that the Amorites don't own it. And anyone familiar with Old Testament history knows that the Israelites don't own it because they too will be exiled from the land, as I said, in the 8th century and early 6th century BC. We know <laughs> from a number of uh, texts in the Old Testament that God owns the land. I remember years and years, years and years ago, memorizing Psalm 24, verse 1 in the King James Version. It has a certain cadence to it, doesn't it? The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The earth is the Lord's, the land, all the land, the cattle on a thousand hills, you and me. <laughs> Paul even uh, says this in terms of uh, his correspondence to the Church of God in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that we're not our own. We're bought with a price. Glorify God with our bodies. We don't own anything. We are merely caretakers, managers, stewards. And this is certainly true of the land that we're talking about, the land of Israel. God owns it. And anyone who's been on it, biblically or otherwise, has only been a manager or a steward, uh, which is obviously how we view all of life from a biblical point of view. How did the land function in the Old Testament? The land is going to function in a number of ways and in a number of gospel ways. Now, that might sound a little strange to some of our hearers. We normally don't connect the word gospel with land. I was looking at a commentary I wrote several years ago on the book of Amos, and little did I remember that I actually had an excursus on the land in this commentary. And I've got uh, nine different gospel features of the land in both Testaments. Now, I'm not going to go through all nine in great detail, but this is a blind spot I think most Christians have, that land really doesn't have too much theological import unless you're talking about what we're talking about right now. <laughs> so let me give you just a, a sense of how 
the land functions in both testaments. Uh, first of all, it's a down payment, a down payment. This takes us back to Genesis chapter 23, where uh, Abraham purchased a cave of Machpelah from Ephron the Hittite, and it was a down payment of more land to come. Paul, among other early Christian authors, is going to use this idea of down payment to speak of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His Greek word is arabone, down payment. We have a down payment in the spirit. Paul uses this term in Ephesians 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What's the down payment of the spirit that we have? Well, it's the down payment of a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. Number two, the land is an inheritance. We know that, right? Especially in Joshua chapters 13 through 22. And Peter is going to tell us in 1 Peter 1 verse 4 that we have an inheritance in Jesus that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Number three, the living in the land is an abundant life, right? We know that's a land flowing with milk and honey. God wants the best for his people. Certainly, this is what Jesus is speaking toward in John 10, 10, that he's come to give us life and life abundant. Well, where is that? That's finally, fully, completely in the renewed heaven and renewed earth. Well, number four, the land is a foretaste of paradise restored. It has Eden-like qualities, especially if you look in Deuteronomy 8, verses 7, 8, and 9. Isaiah speaks in these terms in Isaiah 65. The land is then a foretaste of paradise restored. And the church of Christ, right? We have no other hope, no other destiny, no other inheritance than the one that God gave Abraham and Israel, a redeemed, renewed heaven and earth. And in this sense, the sacraments are actually connected to the land as well, because they too are going to be a foretaste of the feast to come. Just as God used physical means through the land in the Old Testament, so he uses uh, water, bread, and wine, the sacraments of baptism and the Holy Supper, to deliver these gifts of the foretaste of the feast to come. Well, here's another one. The land, of course, is a place of rest, right? Especially in the early parts of the Old Testament, God places them in the land so they have rest from all their enemies. And Jesus, right, one of the first verses I ever memorized, Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. This rest that we have in the land in the Old Testament points to Christ Jesus. Hey, how about just maybe one more? I would want to accent the idea that Yahweh grants blessings to those in the land. If you're in the land, you're where God is funneling and channeling all the gospel gifts. Just so, 135 times in his 13 letters, Paul uses the phrase in Christ, in Christ. So ba'eretz, in the land, in Hebrew in the Old Testament, is theologically equivalent to en Christo in the New Testament. Where is God funneling, channeling all the mercy and grace that he has for us in Christ Jesus? Well, it's to those who are in Christ, baptismally by grace through faith. That gives a little sense of trying to 
rescue <laughs> all of this uh, land theology in the Old Testament and see how it's fulfilled in the New Testament and uh, rescue it, again, from those who simply see it as uh, tug of war in terms of who owns it and who can possess it by might and by power here in the 21st century. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're getting a history of the land of Israel from Dr. Reed Lessing. He's written a 2006 column for the Lutheran Witness magazine titled, Whose Land Is It? You can read it on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Does the Bible ever suggest that the land would be restored to ethnic Jews? That's next. Thanks to our listeners, Issues Etc. has operated independently and in the black for 15 consecutive years. Please help us cover our expenses again this year by making a year-end financial gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 Christmas and Epiphany hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for your support at the end of 2023. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. Expert guests, expansive topics, extolling Christ. You're listening to Issues Etc. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Greetings in Christ. I'm Dr. Reed Lessing, Director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. The Center offers annual preaching workshops for Advent and Lent, seminars on a book of the Bible, and studies focused on biblical stewardship. We also showcase the best biblical scholarship in the LCMS by hosting three-day seminars each summer, featuring a guest scholar. Learn more at csp.edu slash Center for Biblical Studies. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about the history of the land of Israel. Dr. Reed Lessing is our guest, professor of theology and ministry and director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University, St. Paul, Minnesota, co-author of the book, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament, and author of a 2006 column for the Lutheran Witness magazine titled, Whose Land Is It? 
expert guests, expansive topics extolling Christ. That's what we bring you 10 hours each week on issues, etc. Please help us reach more listeners in 2024 by making a year-end donation to support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. Any size gift is deeply appreciated. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. You can also donate by giving us a call, 618-223-8385. Thanks for listening, and thanks for including Issues Etc. in your year-end giving. Dr. Lessing, does the Bible ever suggest that the land would be restored to ethnic Jews? It does not, unequivocally. This is a black and white issue. There's no gray area here. The Bible never suggests that the land would be restored to ethnic Jews. In fact, if we step back just a little bit, there's a wonderful verse in Romans chapter 4, verse 13, where St. Paul says that God promised to give Abraham not the land, not the land, <laughs> but the whole earth. So what does all that mean? So the land promises in the Old Testament are not land promises to be restored in some kind of end time frame to ethnic Jews. No, the land promises are God's promises to Abraham and his offspring, which would be the baptized, according to Paul in Galatians 3, of a new heaven and a new earth. What does the New Testament teach about how Jesus fulfilled the land promises of the Old Testament? Well, of course, I've uh, obviously tried to take a look at a number of those features in a prior question. Another way, though, to take a look at the current atrocities uh, happening in Gaza and in Israel and what the Bible has to say is to direct my answer in terms of what Jesus says about land fulfillment from the Old Testament and the New Testament in uh, several ways. First of all, a wonderful verse is in John chapter 18, verse 36, where Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, that doesn't mean that, that he's not concerned about the world or creation. No, he's going to renew creation. Revelation 21.5 says, the one who sits on the throne says, I'm making all things new, not all new things, all things new. And that means a renewed creation. But when Jesus is talking to Pontius Pilate in John chapter 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world, it does mean that Jesus is not going to rule by might and power, that he's not going to set up an earthly kingdom for a thousand years, which is part of this whole premillennial dispensational scheme. Jesus came to rule, if we even want to use that word with him, to exercise dominion and authority by laying his life down. He didn't come to be served, but to serve, give his life as a ransom for many. So any idea that Jesus is going to reign and rule as an earthly king after the rapture of the seven-year tribulation, which is all congruent with this uh, premillennial dispensational, biblical, warped, deceiving uh, worldview, uh, simply has to somehow skyskirt John 18, verse 36. Another wonderful verse, especially as we enter Advent uh, this coming Sunday, Advent 1, would be the second part of Revelation 19, verse 10, where it simply says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
not the testimony of the 1940 state of Israel, uh, not the testimony of ethnic Jews trying to hold on to some land. Uh, that's not what prophecy is all about. Uh, it's very clear, uh, clear as the sun on a, a bright June day in southern Illinois in Collinsville, right? <laughs> The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is what Jesus teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. And so this is what issues, etc. teaches, the Lutheran Church teaches. And it's a wonderful gospel because it points people to the only hope that actually matters in the world. Christ crucified, risen, ascended, and returning on the clouds. Finally, how then should we understand the modern state of Israel and then the ongoing conflicts over that particular piece of real estate? Right. I might just step back before I answer that directly. Talk about one more feature about how both Testaments uh, use this uh, wonderful, robust land theology. And that would be the fact that the occupants of the land are always who? They're always the anavim, to use the Hebrew word, the afflicted, the lowly. The occupants of the land are the poor. This is what Jesus means in his Sermon on the Mount, that it would be the statement, blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall enter the kingdom of God. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, right? So, so the whole Sermon on the Mount in those terms is speaking about who are the rightful occupants of the land. It's, it's the humble, the lowly, the repentant, right? The believers. And that's true in the Old Testament. Uh, they get too high and mighty, they're exiled. Uh, and those in Christ, because theologically, if we're in Christ, we're like Israel in the land, we stay there. We enjoy the benefits of being in Christ through humility, repentance, faith. So Psalm 37 verse 11 speaks wonderfully into that, that the poor, the lowly are the occupants of the land. All of which is to say is if we think people are going to take this land by might or power in biblical times, then we're simply ignoring uh, Psalm 37 and sections of Matthew chapter 5. So that certainly is a different way to, to look at the land and its fulfillment in Christ. And that's then going to be the way we want to teach and preach and, and help people understand all of this. When we get to the politics now about what's going on, I'm writing a commentary in the Book of Lamentations for CPH. And what I am becoming more aware of in my own prayers, in the prayers of the church, is too often we pray something like, oh God, this is so troubling to me. What's going on to innocent Palestinians right in the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, what's happened to thousands of Israelis? Oh God, if it be your will, please bring this cataclysm to an end. That's not the way they pray in the Old Testament. That's not the way they pray in the Book of Lamentations. In Lamentations, there are three imprecatory prayers in chapters 1 and at the end of chapter 3 and 4. This is the way I would invite Christians to pray about the current conflicts in Israel and Gaza Strip, West Bank. God, some of these people who are 
negotiating and leading all of this are evil and wicked and take them out. Psalm 59 says, break their teeth. Don't let them have another inch of influence on any of this. And God, there are some people who are actually trying to do the right thing as best as they can, giving geopolitical realities, further their vision. But in all things, God, bring about the restoration of all things through the second coming of your son, Jesus, when we will finally and fully uh, witness uh, swords beaten into plowshares and spears beaten into pruning hooks. And nation will not lift up sword against nation, nor will they learn war anymore. We are praying for the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, to come and put an end to all of this chaos and hell and horror. So those would be some prayers that I've been praying. I invite others to pray that and ask God to finally intervene in all of our sorrows and brokenness and darkness. Dr. Lessing, you're the director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University, St. Paul, Minnesota. What can you tell us about the center? We're in our fourth year, Todd, and we offer a series of workshops, mostly for pastors, every year. We have one Saturday workshop for lay people that's going to be on March 16th in 2024. Our next uh, preaching workshop, though, is going to be on January 19th. People can be online, on-site, or on-demand. You might not want to be on-site in St. Paul in January, but online and on-demand. I'll be holding forth on a Lenten Holy Week Easter sermon series on the book of Exodus called Let My People Go. Our listeners can find out more if they just simply Google uh, CSP, Center for Biblical Studies. You'll see our webpage and lots of resources and lots of dates coming up in 2024. Find out more about the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University, St. Paul, Minnesota at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Dr. Reed Lessing is Professor of Theology and Ministry and Director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University, St. Paul, Minnesota. Co-author of the book, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. And author of the 2006 column for the Lutheran Witness magazine titled, Whose Land Is It? Dr. Lessing, thanks. Thanks, Todd. When we come back, we'll be talking church music with Philip Magnus, Cantor at Village Lutheran Church in St. Louis, and author of a new book, Church Music for the Care of Souls. How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com.
a mobile Lutheran Bible study. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now.